0: Welcome back to Scarlet Fever. It's another week of Husker Athletics, and we're here to break it down for you. I'm Grant Hansen with Landon Work, as always. Husker women's basketball was embroiled in controversy over the weekend, a surprise loss to Penn State following an eclectic win over Indiana, and then a bounce-back victory following the controversy over Minnesota. How does the Husker season shape up from here? Landon and I will break it all down for you. Husker baseball suffered a 1-3 series defeat to Sam Houston over the weekend. The Huskers' only win came Saturday night, 12-9 over the Bearcats. What does it mean for the Huskers going forward in that sector? And Husker softball capped off a successful weekend. They're 6-4 and four now on the year. Landon and I discuss all that and more. Coming up next, this is Scarlet Fever. Welcome back, everyone, to Scarlet Fever. I'm Grant Hansen, your host, alongside Landon Wirt. You can find Landon on Twitter at L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. For me, it's at Hansen15 underscore Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N underscore Hansen. All right. Uh, well, a lot of interesting things happening over the weekend, and we'll start after the best thing with what is probably the worst thing or the most controversial or most negative Thing from the weekend we'll get into that coming up next but first we'll begin with the positive best thing we saw this week Landon what's yours
1: um yeah so it's it's crazy how quickly this semester has has gone by we as we record this on Wednesday February 23rd I was perusing through YouTube taking a little study and academic break on last night and I was so overjoyed to find that John Morant's 2019 March Madness highlight tape um, was recommended to me, which just brought a big smile to my face. It made me so happy. I don't feel like like an old man yet. I'm I'm 21. I'm going to be 22 in April, but it really does kind of feel like a really long time ago that John Morant was in college, and I would sit around with my buddies on a random Thursday night on the ESPN app watching Murray State play just to see John Morant. Um, But to look back and reminisce on his highlight Tape and, and the teams that he was able to knock down in the tournament, like that Marquette team with Marcus Howard, and then was able to to blow by a, a peak Leonard Hamilton Florida State team. It was just really awesome to to take take a trip down memory memory lane and reminisce on that, and it also served as a great reminder that. Holy holy crap, March is rapidly approaching. Conference yes. tournaments start in less than a week. Uh, we are getting very, very close to the end of the the college basketball season, and we are so, so close to the sweet, sweet goodness of conference tournaments and March Madness, and I am so excited. John Morant is like one of my favorite college basketball players to watch ever, um, at least that I was able to, <laughs> able to watch and, and able to see. Uh, so to see just a reminder of his his dynamic and, and beautiful highlights was a, a great way to, you know, push me over the Tuesday hump. Yeah,
0: guess. yeah, his runs are they're one of my favorites, and I, I think, you know, you you mentioned right before we went on that this was going to be the first normal March Madness in two years because mm-hmm. you remember the pandemic happens right around March, right around the beginning of conference tournament week. And so that wiped out that March Madness. Last year, there were no fans uh, or there were different levels of fans. Yeah, it um, was a
1: weird, whole weird situation with the right, because, whole tournament being in indie and
0: Well, so they had some amount of fans, if I remember correctly, yes, in like the initial rounds. But then it was all friends and family only for the final four, which felt extra weird. Yeah. You know, after having some amount of fans... Previously.
1: Yeah, that whole thing was a mess. But I will say that one of my one of my great memories is being in Indy before all of that. Like you just uh I'll I'll never forget the images that burned into my mind of just taking a stroll around Lucas Oil's massive, massive press box and just walking around to the other side of the partition and like slowly but surely that March Madness court on the other side of where the Big Ten tournament was happening just creeps around. I was like, wow. That's pretty awesome. But, yeah, it was a super weird tournament last year. It's going to be really nice to get back to the, you know, cities and all that stuff. It, it, yeah. It, it's what it
0: needs. Well, and, and so that's part of what, you know, that's part of the joy of the tourney, I think, in many ways for me is because you get, you get to see, you know, all these different host cities and the networks do a very good job of putting their respective cultures and stuff like that. They put those on display, I think, really well. Yeah. You have plenty of neutral fans there. You have plenty of team fans there. You have runs like Murray State's that go on. You know, and you think of the Loyola Chicago's from back in the day, uh, or even last year. You know, Loyola Chicago. So or Oral. Yeah, or Oral. That's true.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite like sights of March Madness is seeing like fans of the next session's games in the stadium already just like randomly picking a team to cheer on before that's the stuff we just haven't been able to get the last couple of years so it's just going to be so nice to see
0: and and you know in many ways i felt like last year's runs whether it's oral roberts uh or i guess loyal too although like you know loyal at this point that's a team that you kind of don't say
1: please don't say the other team from that region that made the elite eight because i still have absolute nightmares yeah Org- well, Oregon State is what I'm referring to and, and I haven't been able to sleep for a year. So,
0: so that that was another fantastic run, but in some ways it was devalued, I think, because there were no fans to see it or there weren't as many fans to see it or, or cheer it on. It just doesn't feel the same as some of these older ones.
1: Yeah, it. you're right because the, the way that Oregon State's run happened last year is like one of the most craziest one-offs in the history of the tournament because – they were like 500 or a couple of games below 500. They needed to win the Pac-12, and then they did. And then they went to the Elite Eight, and now they have the exact same team, and they're three and 23. So it's just like stuff like that. Just it, things that happen this tournament and and in the tournaments following will be, I think, appreciated properly in their historical context, just because of it's it's going to be back in a normal scope.
0: Yeah, well, and then you remember Bill Walton predicting a all-Pac-12 Final Five last year. <laughs> I think he put five Pac-12 teams in the Final Four. Bill. Love Bill Walton. Uh, his The UCLA-USC call a couple of weeks ago with him and Dave Pash was pretty funny. Yeah, they're two of the best. I love them. So, for me, it's also kind of COVID-related. Uh, I So, as many of you may know, mask mandate dropped uh, in Lincoln this last week and in Omaha, too. And, you know, it was interesting because... When I came back into the building on Monday, it was only the second time, not counting my visit, that I had been in this building without a mask on at any point. Yeah. And that was wild to think about that, for one. But for two, and here's the thing that was the best thing I saw this week, to get to see everybody's faces again, or in some cases for the first time, I didn't think it was going to make me like super emotional or anything and it wasn't like I was just like breaking down crying in class of course that was not the case but it did actually get me a little bit where I was like wow this is the first time this has happened and that was really what really wild uh and cool and of course there are still some people who are still wearing them and I'm not disparaging those people at all I mean you know Rick Alloway uh professor here broadcasting he's had cancer twice he's still keeping his mask on of course that's totally okay that's fine you know, there's nothing that is bad about that, uh, but for those who did feel comfortable enough to not wear them, it was it was cool, and it was hopefully a sign that we're coming out on the other end, and maybe we are, maybe we're not. We've had quite a few false peaks before in the yeah. last year and a half, but. It feel it. I don't know. This one feels different in some ways, and it, and and even if it doesn't last, it was it was cool to see that this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, being in the the DN newsroom for the first time without a mask in like two two years, it was pretty weird, honestly. Right. Because I'm seeing some of my coworkers' faces that I like in some instances have never seen before. Because, you know, it's yeah, it's it's definitely surreal and weird. But maybe maybe it is a sign. It's kind of just like. Everything feels okay right now, so
0: yeah, the world has not collapsed yet.
1: No, uh, at least not in America. Other places, (laughs) yes, that's true. Um, Here, no, but yeah, no, it it definitely is a nice feeling for sure. It's been it's been interesting, that's to say the least.
0: So as long as it lasts, definitely here to appreciate that. And let's move into some of our our sports related discussions. Uh, for the you know the rest of the podcast, uh, let's start with probably one of the tougher topics to tackle, and that's Husker women's basketball. And then, as many of you may know, there's been a large amount of controversy surrounding this team. And in, in first off, in assistant coach Chuck Love on Saturday afternoon, there was I believe it was Saturday afternoon if I remember correctly. Yeah, Saturday morning. Uh, it was splitting hairs there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was announced that. He was suspended with pay, and then shortly after it's announced that uh, transfer, Juco transfer, I believe, right, Uh, Ashley Scoggin, has been removed from the roster, Huskers sharpshooter there, no longer a part of the team. And, you know, for me, the first thing it did was added some context to the the loss to Penn State. You know, on Monday, this team takes down Indiana. Obviously, that's a huge win. And then they go to Penn State, and that's a team that generally they should be expected to beat, and they had a relatively sizable, good enough lead going into the second half, and as time went on, Penn State just whittled away, whittled away, and I believe they went on like a 16-0 run to close the game and win it. Uh, I think this controversy, which they knew about at the time because Chuck Love was not on the bench for that Penn State game, Ashley Scoggin did not play, Yeah, I think that... Played into that game, and that adds some context there. Your thoughts on this whole thing? Obviously, we can't do a whole lot of speculation. No. If you want to speculate, there's plenty of space to do that on Twitter, yeah, or um, Instagram right now. Yes. So, I, I I think my biggest two takeaways is, you know, one, that was a big part of why they lost Penn State, I think. Two, the way they responded against Minnesota, a team they only beat by two on the road earlier this year on Sunday after all that stuff had broke, was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of of thoughts, and I'm probably going to go all over the place here. In talking with women's basketball beat reporter Thomas Cotto um, on Sunday, he was there at the Minnesota game. Uh, We got to talking, and when this originally broke, uh, myself and my assistant editors were in constant communication with, with the women's basketball beat. And Thomas pointed out one of the things I, – and I, I didn't realize this. I wish I could remember everything I edit. I don't. But huh. he wrote a profile on Ashley Scoggin last year um, about how she was a finalist for transfer of the year and how she overcame some injuries and things like that. One of the things that he noted – Um, And it's a direct quote from Scoggin that uh, it was Chuck Love that was the main recruiter of her to come to Nebraska. Uh, You know, again, we are far from the place to make speculations. But – I just found that to be an interesting note personally that right. it was love that handled that recruiting. He could handle everybody's recruitment for I don't I don't know the answer to that. He does. Uh, yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, so he handles a lot of the recruiting. So he I you know, it, it, it could be something, could be nothing, but the fact that like he was on the recruiter, it would be kind of hard to believe that you know, there was some sort of practice dispute, dispute spat something. The whole situation is just really difficult. It it, it kind of sucks, for lack of a better word, to see, like, Scoggin getting just absolutely flamed online and, and yeah. speculation fanning for something that, like, ultimately at the end of the day nobody really knows the answer to. So that part, I mean, has to be really difficult. The other thing that I think um, just, you know, sticks out initially when I think about the situation is watching the press conference after Sunday's Minnesota game. The team appeared on a very united front, uh, I, Thomas mentioned that Amy Williams had not appeared directly alongside two players all season before Sunday. It makes a lot of sense why it happened. Uh, she spoke very eloquently. She, you know, gave all the answers she could. She appeared, the team appeared very kind of calm. It was strange uh, to see that sense of just. They knew what was going to be asked. They there were no restrictions. They had an open and honest dialogue with the media. It was sort of refreshing to see, as compared to other Husker athletic programs, where a controversy of similar magnitude probably would not have been addressed so so free flowing, so easily. Uh, you know, of course, we don't we didn't get any answers from her. She, you know, the only real main big talking point was that the athletic department still supports Ashley Ashley Scoggin, uh, which was sort of nice to hear, I guess. Um, but, yeah, the just the conduct of that postgame press conference really stuck out to me. I don't really know why, but it was just, you know, the, the way that the leaders of the team conducted themselves, I thought was really refreshing. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know where the team goes from here. Uh, it's something that has like team splitting up potential, and you could definitely see it to Penn State. But I mean, who knows? maybe it, it being out there was was all that they need like finally needed to put it behind them a little bit. In terms of the full story, I don't know if we'll ever know. I, For for me, and and this is the only speculation bit I'll dive into, I think it would probably behoove the program to wait as long as possible, preferably until after the season's over to put something official out. I think that as the season winds down and you enter March – like the last thing you need on your plate are more ancillary distractions that are away from the basketball court. I think it would probably behoove Williams and the rest of the program to just keep your keep their collective heads down and, and go at accomplishing what they can accomplish and then address any other outstanding issues after the season ends. I think that that could you know stuff like that has team tearing apart potential like like I just hit on and it, it showed it's it reared its ugly head against Penn State. Um, but yeah, uh, I was just—I I came away from it really impressed by Amy Williams' leadership. I feel pretty poorly for for Ashley Scoggin being kind of in the in the brunt of the situation without you know something official on her side statement to you know defend herself. Uh, it's kind of the nature of online, and, and that part of it sucks. That online experience that she's just you know having you know lots of jokes and comments and derogatory things about her said at her expense that may or may not even be true. Uh, and I think that it would probably be best um, to wait potentially from a Nebraska program side to wait to address things till the season ends.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so that that was my thought. My thought was that if we didn't hear the details this week, we're not going, we're to. Not going to hear until after the year is done. And probably not ever. I, I That's my guess, is not ever. Uh, because why? I, I don't know why they would unless – You know, ultimately, they decide to part ways with Chuck Love. Uh, Part of why this was so shocking was because of how positively uh, and widely regarded Chuck Love is or was, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, within local circles. Certainly by Amy Williams. I mean, he has been her right-hand man since the Dakotas. Um, And so, you know, that had to be very hard for her. To make this decision. And again. It could be way. Way. Better. I suppose. Or might not be as bad. As people think it is. Uh, we'll have to see. We maybe never will. I think what's important now. Is to see what happens going forward. And, and luckily for this team. Last two opponents on the year. Wisconsin and Northwestern. Not uh, very big challengers. Certainly Minnesota wasn't either. Uh, so they can get. A couple of games here to collect themselves before the Big Ten tourney, but you know that could have it could it it certainly is not a great time to have a controversy like this. Nebraska sits sixth in the Big Ten; they likely will finish there unless Michigan State leapfrogs them. Uh, the Huskers are nine and seven in conference, twenty and seven overall. But I, I I will echo what you said. I was impressed with how Amy Williams handled it. I've always been impressed by her leadership. And her her skill in front of the media and as a coach, I think that continues for me now. Um, and I was impressed by the way the players handled it as well. And and so I'm I'm, it was a very united front from them on this. Makes me again think that we probably may never hear the full details or the reasoning for Chuck Love's suspension and Ashley Scoggins' removal. I feel for Ashley Scoggin. I feel for her because. Of obviously what you mentioned of the way she's been harassed after this online, it's a it's a bad situation all the way around. And now the only thing left to do for the Huskers is to play. Yeah, they got two games left. They play one as we record this on Wednesday today against Wisconsin, and then Northwestern on Sunday, and then the conference tourney, and then the NCAA tourney, which they're projected right now as a seven seed there. Yeah, I
1: mean, the, the best distraction is to literally just block out all the noise, and that's something that Amy Williams preached after that Minnesota game. She said that, you know, their focus is on their personnel on the court and their focus is on winning basketball games. That I am under the belief that, you know, that, that team right now is really united and in a direction where they're in a position to block out all of that extracurricular stuff and just focus on winning basketball games. And it really is a shame— that something like this happened when it did because it really is taking away from, like, what we should be talking about right now, which is a 20-win team poised to be a top 6-7 seed in the NCAA tournament. They're having a phenomenal season. They're on pace if 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 they are able to win out and uh, in, in win a game in the Big Ten tournament, even to have the, the most wins of Amy Williams' tenure at Nebraska. They really are having a phenomenal season. They're talented. They're deep they've got a they've got like seven players that are capable of going for 20 on any given night. I mean, they're just a phenomenal bunch and, you know, it really is ta- it's it's taking away from what we should be doing at this time of the year, which is putting a bow on like an incredible season. And they are. They're absolute they're they're phenomenal and they will they sh- they should be poised to no doubt have success in in Indy and in the NCAA tournament. So
0: yeah. ESPN has the Huskers as a 7 seed taking on Missouri in the opening in round.
1: Tucson is that? Yes, oh, yeah, that's they a get Arizona. I so. would like them to not be in Tucson. <laughs> yeah, we well, want to send our riders and we don't want we I don't we can't pull Tucson out of right,
0: that. Right. Right. <laughs> well, the, your other options are Ames. Ames would be fantastic. Is the ideal one. Ames would be good. Uh Waco and Ann Arbor. So Ann Arbor is feasible. Yeah. Waco
1: a little less feasible. So. Waco less
0: feasible. Yeah, that's yeah, like a Yeah, But then, then
1: if Nebraska moves up on the seed line, then then you know some interesting things could come into play there too. So, yes. and, th- and that's something certainly possible. Wisconsin's a team Nebraska beat by like 33 in matchup one. Northwestern will be a little tricky. I know that's at PBA, so that will be nice. But Northwestern's a team right there in the middle of the pack fighting for seeding as well. I don't they, know.
0: they would need to get some wins in the Big Ten tourney, I think, to move up a seed line, especially after the Penn State loss. But it's something yeah. they're capable of doing. yeah Your options there, by the way, Austin. Boston, Baton Rouge, stores, and Norman.
1: So, oh, yeah. Norman. Norman, hey, you could do. Norman. We've done that one already. So
0: there you go. There's <laughs> your uh, Husker Women's Hoops update. Our thoughts on some of that controversy surrounding the team this weekend. They hope to put it behind them this week as they take on Wisconsin. Those of you listening will have already had that game in the books. And then Northwestern. On Sunday. Let's flip the script and talk about a much worse team uh, (laughs) playing on the same court. Nebraska men's basketball. They have seven wins. They're the exact inverse of the women's record uh, today on Wednesday. (laughs) Seven and 20. Bryce McGowan says as many Big Ten Freshman of the Week awards as the Huskers have wins. Uh, And that did not change last night. They lost to Northwestern despite a somewhat late rally. Uh, I didn't honestly... Think They had a way of working their way back in, but they kind of did. They just ultimately couldn't overcome some of the, uh, well, to be nice, poor defensive effort in different parts of the game. (laughs) Most of the game.
1: (sighs) I mean, it's hard to believe that this team with a lot of the similar core, was a top 50 defensive unit last year. Isn't that just crazy to think about? Like, I know that some of the pieces are different, but Lat, Trey, Eduardo Andre, Kobe, Derek, that's five guys right there out of Nebraska's, what, eight-player rotation that— were on the team last year and a part of that top 50 defensive unit. Nebraska closed last season 40th in defensive efficiency per KenPom.com. It was a big reason why the team, despite only winning seven games and finishing the season 7-20. and Wow, look at that. Mm -hmm. Coincidence. Uh, They finished the season 109th in Kempom because they had such a good defensive efficiency. And it's funny that the team defended the three so well because that was a big part of it, and now they're 178th in defensive efficiency, and they rank 262nd nationally in three-point defense. And Northwestern, lo and behold, took advantage of that last night, shot 40%. Uh, 41, if you you round that number, 13 of 32 had a ton of wide open looks. I think it was Dirk Chatelain that had just a hilarious tweet of, I believe it was Pete Nance, uh, who had a wide open three at the top of the key and was like, gee, I I wonder why (laughs) opposing teams are able to shoot so well in Nebraska. The perimeter defense has been lacking all season, and I don't know what. I don't know what you can't fix anything at this point. It's just, it's been a systemic problem that the coaching staff has left undressed for too long. Uh, but man, like. yeah,
0: so and some people think that at this point the decision has been made pretty easy for Trev just to eat the 18 million dollar buyout. Uh, <sighs> it's interesting. I don't, I, I think you're right. Next
1: year's is 15 million, right? So it only goes right. down to and So, th- so,
0: so that, that is the biggest like point to say who cares about the 18 million dollar buyout. Like, are you if you're not fine paying 18 million dollars, are you fine playing paying 15 in a year or 12 after that? Uh, this team, and this was noted by several people, twenty losses in three consecutive seasons. And prior to those three seasons, all under Fred Hoiberg, Nebraska did not have any twenty losing game or twenty game losing seasons. I mean, think about that. Think about all the bad that has been around Nebraska basketball because it's never been good. And yeah, other than really awesome. under Ty Lue in the nineties or with Ty Lue, rather in the nineties, maybe. For a couple of seasons, and there have been spurts, sure, but consistently there's not been good, and it's been mostly mediocre to poor, and it's never, ever had a 20-game losing season prior to Fred Hoiberg, and it has never had three in a row, which it now has. It's insane.
1: It's insane to me to think about the fact that the the JPJ, Gwen Watson, and Isaiah Robey team was the be- is going to be the best Nebraska team of my tenure here. That's just wild to think about, the Tim Miles' last squad. We've talked about, like, season by season, what's specifically gone wrong, but, I mean, it just, to me, it doesn't inspire confidence because we're going to go into... If what's kept in place is kept in place... Nebraska is going to finish with, like, a 7-25 and record again. Actually, ironically, if Nebraska loses out, which it, there's a pretty good chance it does, I mean, I would say that it's next 2 games or its best chance of wins potentially home Iowa, but not likely. And then at Penn State, you bow, bow out in the Big Ten tournament early. Nebraska's going to match the 7-25 and mark it posted in Fred Hoiberg's first year, which is a roster, as I've hit on, that was constructed in literally 60 days. We're going to go into next year, and things are going to look completely different again. Bryce McGowans is shooting up NBA mock drafts and will not be back in Lincoln next year. There is no way, especially if he creeps into the first round. Right. It's increasingly unlikely. Alonzo Verge is a senior. Kobe Webster is a senior. Trey McGowans will have a decision to make on whether or not he wants to return to Nebraska if – should his brother declare for the NBA draft. Derek Walker is a fourth year junior and has a similar decision to make on whether or not he would like to finish his career at Nebraska or opt to play elsewhere or do something ooh, or do something <laughs> else. So, we're faced with a lot of decisions again and there's a non-zero chance that Nebraska's roster looks entirely different. We've it, we've done this already. We've flipped the roster from year to year and it it didn't work. So, What's going to make next year any different? The recruiting class that Nebraska is bringing in, despite having good pieces, is worse right now than what last year's ended up as. There's not a saving grace five star to come in and alleviate a lot of these teams' flaws.
0: Like and even if there was, and even if there was, would it matter? Because we've seen it. It hasn't this year.
1: No. So I don't, I don't know what needs to change, but doing this again it will not work, and. I'm kind of done buying into the fact that it might, because we saw we we have seen it happen, and it didn't. That whatever for whatever reason, be it chemistry issues, be it just a lack of overall program buy-in, this didn't work. And next year, if you know the current staff in place tries to do it again, it won't. No matter what the early season, you know, numbers tell you, it will not work. So to the point of Fred Hoiberg's buyout. It's a lot of money. $18 million is like huh, no 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 small feat and you know the, the ramifications that the former athletic department regime uh yeah, woof. Hmm. You know, is it $18 million this year or $15 million next year? Does that matter? Does does a three million dollar difference at the end of the day? I mean, we're talking about sums so great that I will never be able to earn a million dollars in my lifetime, but I mean for an athletic department with a budget as big as Nebraska's, is that really a, a that big of an issue? I think we're going to know a lot in the next couple of days. I really do think that that Fred Hoiberg and, and and Trev Alberts are long overdue for a meeting and just to just to hash some things out. But I don't even know what changes like. If you're Trev Alberts, like, what can Fred Hoiberg say to you to ensure that next year will be different? Because from what I see, a lot of roster turnover is coming again. And if I've learned anything is that all of this, this roster turnover situation didn't work.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And when you look at what's going to happen, you know, on Friday, Iowa, (laughs) I, you know, there's a point in the year where you thought, eh, maybe they could win this game. It's at home, you know, and now Iowa is playing phenomenal ball. I mean, they yeah. just absolutely waxed Michigan State last night. The uh, Fran Fade February
1: thing is is no longer a narrative, which makes me sad.
0: Yeah, maybe it's like Fran's Fire February or something like that. I don't know. You'll have to we'll have to readjust. But you know, Fran McCaffrey has his squad playing really, really well. I don't know how Nebraska. You know, we talk about motivation. Seemingly everybody in the Big Ten can find something to play for. I I don't know. If, I don't know if Nebraska does. Yeah. I
1: the the quote you used in your gamer last night was so depressing at the end. Right. He was like, "Hopefully give our seniors something to remember." Like is that really all you can say? I mean, Nebraska has a real shot here and You know, setting new lows, you know, even if they do win seven games, Nebraska is on track to, like, regress again in conference play. In Fred Hoiberg's first year, Nebraska won twice in conference, second year three times, and now this year, we're staring one right in the face, right directly in the face of one conference win, because, yeah, Iowa is playing great. Iowa, dare I say, probably looks better than it did with, with Luka Garza, which is incredible to say, but they are just on a heater right now. Penn State is, I don't know, Penn State's Penn State. So, but- so,
0: and here's the thing with that game, too, and I mentioned this in this week's uh, rankings, but Penn State is like, a Rutgers sort of level team at home. Yeah. Like, they have their best wins this year. Indiana, they've taken down, I think it was Rutgers they beat at home. Yeah. Uh, they've taken down Michigan State at home. They've beaten Iowa All at home. All their
1: conference wins are at home, Penn State's. Yeah. So Actually, no, is, JK,
0: they won at Northwestern. So well, but Five of six are at home. So so that, to me, does not shape up well. And then you have Ohio State and Wisconsin to close the year. Neither of those teams are going to give Nebraska a gimme because if either of those teams loses to Nebraska, they're going to take a significant hit on the resume.
1: Yeah. Real depressing situation, isn't it? I mean, Lord, one and nineteen in the Big Ten play is just absolutely brutal. It's 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 levels of unprecedented failure that I, I I couldn't even imagine. And Nebraska, it should be noted, Nebraska's going on the road. And I think it was Nicole Griffith that tweeted this out. It's yeah. it, Toyberg's no, road it record. I, I can't remember that. One uh, in thirty. Yeah, one in thirty. I can I just I don't have yeah, one in thirty. So <laughs> The one was at Penn State, but what gives you confidence that anything is going to change? I mean, these numbers and statistics are just eye-openingly bad, and I just don't know how long, if you're an administrator, you can let something like this continue, because the same things next year are going to produce the same results. That was my ultimate qualm with, with what was happening with Nebraska football. I didn't think Scott Frost would ultimately be fired, but I did think that they needed to do something different, because right. repeating the same process over and over is not going to get results. It's... it's it's just not going to
0: happen. And clearly the recruiting strategy doesn't work either. Maybe they should hire a defensive coordinator. Yeah. I, don't I uh, know. The one quick note that I'll have, and I was talking with
1: um, old old DN coworkers, Matt Hardesty and Austin Oren about this, but I wonder if um, the immediate eligibility for transfers is kind of working against Fred Hoiberg and what he likes to do. Just a thought, uh, because that went away after his first season, uh, at the, the the transfer rule that you no longer had to sit out a year in moving to your next school um, might be something to be said about that. I don't know. Uh, it might be a, a little bit of a longer case study, but I do think that, like, I mean, I don't think I know guys like like Delano Banton and Shamil Stevenson and Trey McGowans that were all sit-out transfers, they, and, and Derek Walker. I knew Derek Walker was a sit-out yeah, transfer. Yeah, 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 he was. Uh, so those guys have had, like, really nice impacts on the program, but you see some of the guys that have transferred since then, the one-timers... Haven't been as successful, and I think a large part of that is because they haven't uh, they haven't really been able to like fully indoctrinate themselves in the system a little bit. Like Banton, and Banton was good um, in the year that he played here—not fantastic, but good and fit the system, and at least was able to move the ball well and distribute. Couldn't shoot, but uh, Derek Walker's been a great cornerstone, and, and even Shamil Stevenson was fine in his roles, but those guys that were sit-outs, I don't know. It's something to look into, but there there might be something to be said about that, and your point about the, the recruiting system maybe not working.
0: Yeah. Well, it is a uh, disaster zone yeah. uh, over there at, uh, at PBA, with the exception of the women's team, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens on Friday. Probably nothing good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, Joking aside, Huskers will wrap up on Friday at home against Iowa. They have three more games all on the road. Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. Coming up next, we'll discuss Nebraska basketball. Oh, no, we won't discuss Nebraska basketball. psych. We already did that. We'll discuss Nebraska baseball and their weekend series with the Bearcats. Welcome back to Starlet Fever. I'm Grant Hanson alongside Landon Word. Husker baseball got the season underway and it was a less than impressive start over with the Sam Houston State Bearcats and the Huskers go one and three to start the year and Will Bolt was pretty frustrated to be honest in a couple of different instances over the weekend. Nebraska won one game that was the Saturday game. They won it 12 to nine in the evening. They lost the Morning part of the doubleheader, 5-1 to one in seven innings. Huskers this week had four starting pitchers, two went four innings, two went one inning or one in a third. Uh, in total, 10 innings of the 30 were pitched, roughly, uh, by the starting pitchers, and then the bullpen picked up the other 20.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely looked like a first series of the year, I'll say that much, but um... Weekend featured a lot of walks, it featured a lot of errors, it featured a lot of sloppy play overall, Um, and maybe Sam Houston State's a little bit of a better team than we initially gave them credit for, and against a team like that that is able to punish those bad mistakes, uh, you get what you get, which is a a 1-3 weekend. A little bit disappointing, but... (sighs) the the baseball season is just so long and i really am of the impression that i mean as sam houston state just just knocked off oklahoma state who's ranked number 3 in the country last night they might be a better team than, than we're ultimately giving them credit for. The baseball season in, in college isn't as long, of course, as an MLB season. It's what, forty games, forty-five games, fifty games? Yeah, something roughly like something about half of um, the world. No. That's like see, two-thirds. <laughs> so, or one third. So you can you can ill afford like a ton of ba- a ton of these like bad series in a row. And yeah, Ford, Nebraska played forty-eight games last year against Big Ten only, so probably like sixty or something. So you can you can ill afford a ton of these poor series in a row and and things do get a little bit daunting with um, um TC you coming next weekend. But I think it's just one of those things where there's a lot to learn from an opening series. And I think that especially with all the preseason expectation lofted upon um, this current iteration of Husker baseball, I think it might have been something that they needed.
0: So here's one interesting stat. Will Bolt talked a lot after the first, or rather the final game on Sunday about walks and strikeouts. And those struggles for Nebraska, they have a negative 1.8 strikeout walk ratio. 17 walks, 31 strikeouts over the weekend. And that that was interesting to me to analyze that a little bit too. Last year, the team averaged about 8 and a eight, very close to 9 strikeouts per game. Uh, and that was at times a difficulty for this team, but they were an aggressive hitting team a year ago. And I, I think that just is going to happen. And this weekend... The game they won, they had eight strikeouts. Now, granted, the Saturday game, they had also eight strikeouts. But the two that they lost on Friday and Sunday, 15 strikeouts each. I mean, that that, that is a horrid number right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh, Nebraska. Yeah, but, I mean, it, like I said, it, it really did just look like an opening series against a, a, better, a better team. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 Bearcats are a better squad. We give them credit, but yeah, uh, hits and errors really were, or not hits, walks and, and errors were just the two things that jump off the page to me. And Nebraska had a multiple errors in I think all but one game of the series. So if you contemplate if you combine that with striking out a bunch and walking opposing batters, it, it's never a recipe for winning. Ever, you're just not going to win baseball games like that. And I think that there are definitely some things that need to be cleaned up. Uh, I'm confident that we'll be able to clean those things up, and I think that Nebraska is going to go through, like we kind of were alluding to last week, a little bit of an ident- identity crisis a touch because you lose guys that were just so important to how last last season operated, like like Jackson Hallmark and, yep. and, and, and Schwellenbach and Mojo Haggy, and some of those guys. Like, There's going to be some struggles when you're, you're struggling to replace not only starters, but starters that had such a key impact. I think that you know the the non-conference slate might be a little bit rough in that regard. I'm hoping you know you have a month to figure it out before th- you g- you come home and you have some more um, series against some c- tough competition in Long Beach State. I I think that by Big Ten play, there's there's if if these struggles persist um, on March 25th when Nebraska starts play against Michigan, then it's going to be time to hit the panic button. But not not after the opening series.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I do have to correct. A uh, that the the strikeout to walk ratio is actually worse. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that was the opponents that was negative one point eight. Nebraska is actually negative four point three. Uh, Ten walks, forty three strikeouts. Yeah. So that is even worse, actually. Uh, so big issue. That was a huge, huge issue over the weekend for Nebraska couple of guys that you do want to highlight, though. Luke Jessen, freshman Elkhorn South product, hit uh, 636 over the weekend, seven hits and 11 at-bats. Pretty solid work from him. Colby Gomez provided a really solid bat this weekend. I think that was a good surprise. Did not see him on the mound but for the one time. Uh, and then you look down the rest of excuse me, the lineup, uh, Cam Chick kind of struggled a little bit more than expected, and so too did Bryce Matthews, both those guys. And Bryce had some strikeout issues last year, and, you know, today, I believe he leads the team in strike. No, he's one back of Leighton Banjoff. Uh, so Banjoff, the leadoff uh, guy, has eight strikeouts yeah, this year. Bryce has seven. That's not great either, is it? No, and and so Leighton did not have a very good last couple of games. It, he worked quite a few full counts in the first game against Sam Houston, uh, and, and that was definitely a positive, but he was 0-3 hitting, uh he was much better much much better he was three for six on Saturday but then he goes over five with three strikeouts on Sunday and so that was definitely not a uh, a major positive there I, I they like him where he is because he can work counts so well and he just basically didn't do that in a couple of games now Friday night he was fantastic there but Sunday he just he couldn't figure it out and Nebraska really struggled against a guy who's throwing in about the 70s. They just couldn't find a way to hit him. Eventually, he leaves the game in the 6th to the 7th, and that's when Nebraska starts to get things together a little bit offensively. And, you know, they lose that Sunday game 6-3, to three, and credit to the bullpen because you know I believe five of those six runs were accredited to starting pitcher Braxton Bragg. Uh, let me check and make sure I'm 100% correct on that. Uh, he earned four, four of those. So the other so the bullpen got two of them, but the bullpen absolutely you know shut Sam Houston down in innings three through nine, and you know if that that to me is the biggest positive out of the weekend. There's a lot of good things to say about the freshmen. Some of the bullpen, including Jackson Brockett, uh, they were part of that younger group, and uh, Brockett also an Elkhorn South um, freshman, but you know like I I, I think. You know, that is a huge positive to think, okay, our starting pitching probably is going to get better. I think I think Kyle Perry will figure it out. Shea Shanneman, I think, will figure it out, right? You know, if the other guys don't, if you know, Dawson McCarville was pretty good, but if they don't find a guy to be your fourth starter, well, normally you're playing three-game series. Yeah. Um, but the bullpen is going to be able to pick up the slack. And I think that is the biggest positive if you can pull anything out of this weekend is the bullpen can figure it out. The multi-errors, that's a struggle, but you know, maybe you can track that up to being a northern team. You got more outside practices than you usually would, but not as many as a team like Texas from Texas. And you know, maybe it's a struggle to to judge some of the balls. Maybe that's an issue. Uh, you know, even Sunday, you talk about them having multi-errors on Sunday, they came out in the same play. It was a Overthrown pickoff by the pitcher, and then an overthrown uh, cutoff throw from the outfield. So you know that came on the same play. So relatively cleaner um, on Sunday, but you can chalk that up a little bit to some of the outside stuff. As far as the hitting struggles and the strikeouts, that's a little bit more alarming because that's something that you know that that's that's something that that you can do even if you are inside.
1: Yeah, uh, the whole the whole discipline deal. I'm at the plate, and that and that's something that maybe, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll work back on it a bit because I do think there's something to be said about those live outdoor game situation type wraps. But at the same time, that you know, you it doesn't really take being inside or outside to, you know, have a, a team wide approach just to be a little bit more. Uh, careful and with a little bit more of a cautious approach at the plate and wanting to to work work counts as opposed to uh do you know, go for gaps right away I think part of it is <laughs> due to the fact that Nebraska found itself down so early um in, su- in in a couple of these games at least at least Sunday Nebraska was down early I believe Nebraska was working out of a hole in a couple of these but maybe I'm wrong No uh, so Nebraska they were down they were down early they weren't necessarily Sunday. starting like in in they the had that so they, were they took the
0: lead. They took the lead Friday, and then the first they scored the first run of the game Saturday, in their only run. Yeah. So they had a lead in every game. It, they they took the first lead in every game except Sundays.
1: Yeah, but in in those instances, uh, they also like promptly found themselves right. back down. No, which, that's 100 percent true. Could kind of I don't know. I don't know if there's I don't know a young team down. I don't know if those two and are parallel. So but.
0: I think so. Here's the most interesting thing to me this week. Uh, I think Kyle Perry's safe. He'll start. Yeah. Game one. Uh, Shea will start game two. Yeah. Game three will probably go to Dawson McCarvel, But if we get into a four-game series again, uh, somewhere down the line, which we'll have those this year, I think Cody Frank, with his pitching performance on Friday, makes a very, very good argument to take the spot from Braxton Bragg. Yeah. You know, uh, Bragg is a strike thrower. He is very efficient with control and his placement of pitches. The problem is, because he's around the strike zone all the time, he's easier to hit. And yeah. that proved to be true on Sunday. So, you know, Cody Frank, I think, could very easily find himself as that fourth starter. He went four and two-thirds in relief. He is the team's one of the team's best long relievers besides Mason Ornelas, the transfer from Texas A&M, who actually got the credit for the win in the game Saturday night. Frank posted an ERA of zeros, a whip of 1.07, four and two-thirds innings, three hits allowed, six strikeouts, two walks. That's that's a stat line that, you know, if Cody continues to produce at that rate, we will find himself in the fourth spot in the rotation. Yeah,
1: there's it's always nice to have good, long relievers, but, you know, in in those four-game series, sometimes you just need, like, four, four innings out of your starter, really. Um, and if Cody Frank can continue to deliver at that level, I mean, Man, it's impressive going four and two thirds, uh, three hits, no runs, like six strikeouts too. I mean, that's just uh, that, that's a quality all around effort. And yeah, I definitely think there's something to be said about making some tweaks um, to that third, uh, fourth starter role. Um, after. And,
0: and and Dawson Dawson McCarville had the best weekend. Yeah, of all the starters, he right? Had the best so
1: weekend. yeah, so that that changed the fourth starter. I definitely think that's something that you know, the program is going to almost have to be open to. I mean, there there are going to be instances where it's going to be necessary, not necessarily for game sets, but – Take uh, the Michigan home Big Ten series, for example. You've got three games against Michigan, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then a game against Creighton on Tuesday. So that there's an instance there where you need a quality fourth starter. Um, and I definitely think that there's going to be opportunity to to work a little bit and, and try to make some adjustments there as the season progresses because I think it's, it's probably warranted.
0: Yeah, we'll see that next week uh, when the Huskers Ultimate. will have two doubleheaders. They'll have a Friday doubleheader, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and a Saturday, 11 a.m., 3 PM. Well, UT Arlington and Northwestern State uh, down in Arlington, Texas. This weekend, though, number 17 TCU. That one will be at the Globe Live Field, uh, home of the Texas Rangers. Hope you have Flow Sports. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Flow Sports. Uh good luck, people. Yeah. Husker Radio Network is yeah. gonna, get you, gonna Just, get you covered too. <laughs> listen
1: to the game on the radio. Flow sports is awful.
0: Number 17, TCU, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 6, 2, and 1. PM now let's shift gears and talk Husker softball as the Huskers were down in Las Cruces this weekend on the year. They are now six and four, pretty successful weekend. They go four and one, drop one to Southern Louisiana on Friday. That one was probably, probably the most disappointing. Iowa state didn't get to make it down. Iowa state had some uh, issues with their travel, had a blizzard or a snowstorm, uh, come through, and so they couldn't get down to Las Cruces, and so the Huskers got Southern Louisiana a second time on uh, Sunday. Sunday, there yeah. we go. They beat them eleven to one. Yeah, so May- that avenges the the two nothing loss.
1: Makes the weekend a little lighter. I mean,
0: that's yeah. that's no, that's always does.
1: nice. It would have been nice to get another crack at, at Iowa State, especially after last week. But I mean, gosh, what was nice, at least to me, when I was following and and going through uh the the write-ups that our reporters wrote was just the hitting. I mean, oh my gosh, that was, especially Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday Saturday was the night where Nebraska hit what was it three grand slams on Saturday night against Northern Colorado. Uh gosh, yeah, it was two grand slams. Two grand slams. Still, uh Nebraska was able to to hit the ball super well and uh I mean, that, that's that got to be a good sign moving forward that the offense finally woke up. Uh, it, it was a little spurty. The southeastern Louisiana shutout was a, ta- a touch disconcerting, but to be able to rally with six against UT Arlington and then 15 and 11 in back-to-back games is, is is pretty awesome.
0: Huskers hitting 315 as a team, 19 home runs, 61 RBIs, including those home runs. They have 34 extra base hits. In their first, uh, what are they now? Ten games of the season, yep. six and four. So, uh, good start for Nebraska. There, take a look at the, some of the pitching numbers as well. Of course, softball is a little bit different than baseball, and yeah. you've got uh, you like, can go a lot longer, and they have less innings. Yeah. Um, so and you course, have less pitchers. It's true. As a result, Courtney Wallace, Olivia Farrell, the team's two starters, two point two four ERA for Wallace, two point seven one for Farrell. Pretty good starts for both of them. Wallace is five and one. Farrell uh-huh. one and two. 28 strikeouts for Wallace, 23 for Farrell. And then Kaitlyn Kinney, uh, the team's closer, 6 ERA 0-1 record, but she'll come in. She is, She's used somewhat sparingly compared to the others. Six appearances for Kinney, uh, 5 and 6 for Courtney Wallace each. So the innings disparity there is pretty present to Kinney, 9.1 innings, 20 for Olivia Farrell, and then 34 and a third for Courtney Wallace. Yeah, and Nebraska – Entered or
1: left the weekend with another Big Ten Player of the Week, which is awesome. Uh, Sydney Gray, sophomore infielder, uh, hit 438 in five games with four home runs in one of those Grand Slams. I, I can't recall whether or not that was in the... I think it was the Northern Colorado game. Nebraska hit a couple Grand Slams on the weekend. But uh, 10 RBIs, uh, 1.188 slugging percentage, and a 550 on base percentage. That's that's a, that's a pretty quality weekend. Uh, yeah, the, the Grand Slam game against Northern, Northern Colorado, and then two home runs against Southeastern Louisiana on Sunday, so... Yeah, uh, the the offense com- is coming from a variety of different places, which is nice. After Abby Squire uh, won Big Ten or may, may have been a co-Big Ten Player of the Week situation, yeah, it was last se- or last week. Uh, so it's nice to see the offense come from a variety of different sources. That'll only
0: behoove them down the stretch. Nebraska this week heads to the Woo Pig Classic. Down at Fayetteville, Arkansas,
1: a little bit of a different schedule for the Wuppie Classic. It's
0: a big challenge. Yeah, uh, Kansas, Louisville twice, and then number ten, Arkansas, on Monday at two o'clock. Nebraska leads the series with Kansas all time thirty-three to fifteen, and with excuse me, Louisville four to two. Arkansas, on the other hand, has won five of seven games all time with Nebraska, and their most recent a fifteen to four win. That's a big, big test on Monday.
1: Yeah, uh, it'll be good. I think the original schedule for the Woo Pig Classic had two matchups with Arkansas mm. before Weather uh, weather flipped the schedule around. And the only reason I, I was following that was because our, our softball beat reporter, Joseph Meyer, pointed that out to me. So, yeah, it's going to be a little different. Uh, I think Nebraska originally had five games on the slate, a doubleheader Friday, a doubleheader Saturday, and then a game Sunday. Uh, now you get two game two two with Louisville and one with Arkansas. That's going to be a real challenge at, at two. Um that's going to be, I mean, Iowa State w- was test number one, but this is going to be a huge indicator of where uh, Ronda Ravel's bunch is at as we enter uh, March. So, really looking forward to that. That should be a, a really good indicator of how things are going for the Huskers here in the non con slate.
0: So, there you go. Nebraska is six and four in softball. Again, a big, big test. This weekend down in Fayetteville, number 10 Arkansas on Monday. Louisville actually would be the top of the doubleheader. So they'll play two games on Monday, two on Sunday before heading back to Lincoln. And they open their uh, home, home tournament yeah. next week. Yeah. Wichita State coming to town. And uh, I think NDSU, right? North Dakota? Uh, SDSU. SDSU. Yes, that's two against Wichita State, two against South Dakota State. Well, that'll do it for our baseball softball talk. We'll come back. With some odds and ends next. Welcome back one final time here on Scarlet Fever, episode number 18. Grant Hansen and Landon Ward. Wind things down and a couple of odds and ends. We've got uh, next week. Spring football begins Monday. We'll have press conferences for Scott Frost and assistant coaches. And the Huskers landed a pretty significant commitment. A couple of them actually. One out of state and William Watson, the next Husker quarterback to be. Uh, he is a Massachusetts prospect in the class of 2023. And then uh, on the other side of things, a local commit as well. And Creighton Prep uh, lineman, I'm trying to get all the way down to where his commitment was. Sam Sledge, he'll join the uh, Husker Offensive Line Room. I believe he is also a 2023. Uh, Let me make sure 100% sure. And yes, he is a 2023. So a couple of good commitments, one in-state, one out-of-state. Huskers are doing a much better job of working those in-state recruits.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see. Uh, That was definitely one of the... Mickey, that's all. That's a lot of Mickey Josephs doing. Uh, one of the main um, uh, targets or uh, points of emphasis, I guess, for the staff is to form better relationships with uh, with a lot of in-state high schools and players. The The thing I really just find interesting is the William Watson commitment because, of course, that's Mark Whipple's first quarterback signing.
0: And Uh, the flip side on the local angle on that is that that would likely mean they're not going to pursue Zane Flores. Possibly they will, but I don't think they're going to pursue him Super closely with another 2023 already in the fold.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't think so, uh, especially because uh, Flores is already racking up a ton of offers. I, I caught that he had an Oklahoma State one on yeah, the Big the 12 from was the all over day. him. So uh, that's it's that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it, the the Watson commitment is is definitely an interesting one. Uh, dual a, a true dual threat guy, Massachusetts Gatorade Player of the Year, correct? Yeah. Uh, so the yeah, guy can play. Uh, I am really looking forward to learning more about him. He seems like he would be a potentially good fit. Uh, sort of in the in the Kenny Pickett mold kind of of an undersized, skinnier type, but is capable of making plays as mobile. Um, so I'm really looking forward to finding out more about him and, and catching him on tape a little bit to see what he can do.
0: A Couple of other Husker tidbits is again, we begin the spring uh football season coming up which is also insane yeah. uh, actually to say that out loud uh because that begins already next Monday yeah. uh we'll, again we'll have some preseason press conferences pretty interesting it'll be it'll it'll be pretty interesting to get a, a feel for what this group likes at offensive line I don't think anything is going to be super duper solidified uh but we'll kind of get an idea of who can be making a unsuspected push there and then uh the usFL. USFL is making a run at a couple of Husker players. Most recently, uh, they are selecting, it's a new professional uh, league coming this fall, partnered with Fox. Uh, but the Michigan Panthers select Kyron Williams, former Nebraska safety. And then uh, earlier yesterday, Freda do... Uh, was selected former Husker defensive end. I believe that was pretty close to your beginning years here at the DN that he was rounding out his career, correct?
1: Yes. uh, Yes, I believe so. That was before before my... Uh, football beat experience started. But yeah, Stuart Coleman him good top player. And I did a little Huskers in the XFL coverage of memory serves of him. Actually, no, AAF, I think, AAF, I think he was it anyways, fun. I love spring football. I will definitely be tuning into some games. Uh, won't quite hit the same. Uh, I was kind of disappointed because they uh, they were hyping up this uh, quarterback class, <laughs> and I looked down on my phone, and I was like, who's it going to be? It
0: was Shea Patterson oh. from
1: Michigan. Have you Do you know the full list of the quarterbacks? It's, oh, it's not it's, great. It's and, very and, underwhelming. And, and
0: so here's the thing, right? So with these semi-pro or professional that are not the NFL leagues, um, they always remind me how hard it is to play quarterback and how few good quarterbacks there actually are compared to literally every position group. Because you, you watch some of these quarterbacks play in these other leagues. I mean, you think about the original XFL uh, from, well, not the original, I guess from a couple of years ago, the one that got killed by COVID. Yeah. Uh, PJ Walker was probably the only successful product to come out of that XFL in the quarterback rooms. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we'll see much different here.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't think. Uh, it is nice to see Jordan Tallamu back um, playing spring professional football. He's a guy I really enjoyed watching with the St. Louis Battlehawks in the XFL. He was oh, signed right, to the Chiefs right. for, for a hot second. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of just a lot of like career practice squad guys. Kyle Laletta is a name I recognized from watching a lot of NFL preseason football, as well as Kyle Sloter. I noted that, I mean, talking about how hard it is to play quarterback in the NFL, that Paxton Lynch was also drafted in this league. That huh. guy, he was a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL once upon a time. Uh, so yeah man, f- playing, playing quarterback is very hard. I might have to I'm gonna have to pick a, a USFL team to adopt. I might just roll with with Jordan Tamu's team because I, I really like him. So I don't know what team that is it's and a, it'll
0: be interesting to see how long it lasts, especially when it has to compete against the XFL, which will yeah. be making a return with the financing of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That was some interesting news on that this week, where uh, it appears that they will be partnering directly with the NFL to test new rules yeah. um, and some other some other things. There, I, I think that's definitely a.
1: That spells Good doom. <laughs> that spells doom for the USFL. Yeah, it really does. Because like, I
0: mean, the NFL has basically just endorsed the XFL.
1: That yeah, way. the market is just going to like become instantly oversaturated the moment the two go in direct competition with one another. It'll be it'll be nice, I guess, to have the options because, like, you know, you could work on the thought process that well, college football and the NFL operate at the same time and there's no problem. But like, the <laughs> we, there's we don't need a bunch of spring football. We're gonna there's gonna, there's a need for one. Two is just going to make it too much. But I am looking forward in the in, in its stead. I'm looking forward to watching. I'll, I'll be watching some USFL. I don't know when it starts. Uh, April
0: 16th. April 16th. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to me to see what they do to try to differentiate themselves, what they try to do they, to... They can have a
1: big old market, especially with no baseball.
0: Yes. Yeah, well, that's 100% true. And that is another sports topic that is so pressing. Yeah. <laughs> But, no, like, I, I'm interested to see what, what transpires with this league this year, what they do to make themselves different. You know, I thought the XFL did a very, very good job of that before COVID came along, and I was it was very popular. I enjoyed watching it a lot um, just because of the access they gave uh, and, you know, some of the inside looks. For example, like, getting to actually hear and see what the Instant Replay crew were talking about while they were reviewing a play... That was pretty cool. I hope they bring that back, whether it's USFL or XFL. And there's another interesting angle there, too. XFL had a media deal with Fox yeah. when it began. USFL is also partnered with Fox. So what happens there? Who picks up, you know, who gets what? Or is Fox just thinking the USFL is going to fold before the XFL finally <laughs> recovers? Or what's I going on? I think
1: that probably the XFL's move is ESPN. That's what I would think, anyway. Because gotcha. I do recall seeing some XFL games on ESPN. So that's what I would think. Uh, man, I mean, if we want to go into odds and ends and other fantastic. Well, and then topic the other Big Ten, yeah, the, the Big Ten and what it should do. Uh, but yeah, that there's it's definitely time for timing around all of that.
0: Yeah, the, the media. So that's the other thing that I think is very interesting when you talk about media rights is the for those of you who don't know the Big Ten's media rights are coming up specifically for football, and it's going to be a big bidder. I mean, yeah. they're going to they're going to draw a pretty penny. Uh, quite a few buyouts could be paid with the, <laughs> with the financing yes, from this the, deal.
1: I have, why, I just have a weird feeling it's going to be NBC, and I don't. I'm wa- terrified I, of that. I don't want. I don't. I mean, I don't want to be held to it, but I mean. <sighs> I just think that NBC is like really, really going to make a strong push to get further into the college football realm. I mean, right now they kind of just have Notre Dame and Notre Dame pays a lot of the bills because it's Notre Dame and that's just such like a Correct. fantastic, like global market for Notre Dame athletics, specifically football. I guess it's just football. But uh, yeah, you can, I, I just have a weird feeling NBC is just going to make a strong push at Big Ten and... I don't like Peacock the no. streaming service at all. So I, I, I so that's gonna be so. And me sad. and so
0: here's the thing: like streaming is really coming on strong right now. Yeah,
1: that's what you have to consider with that. It's and like how good is their streaming?
0: So site. Netflix wants to get in the game. Amazon wants to get in the game, uh, and they're going to get into the game with the NFL streaming this this next fall for Thursday Night Football. Which, whew, good for you, I guess. There's some good games sometimes, but will well, I be watching Texans and Panthers on? On yes. Amazon? <laughs> uh, probably, actually, yes. But but against my Not- will, I tell you. Um, but Peacock, like, thinking of a Nebraska game on Peacock or what happens to BTN if, if NBC wins, I, I don't know. But, you know, and I know NBC views, like, Notre Dame and the Big Ten as, like, the perfect media package for them in the Midwest. To see them on Peacock... Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know how I would feel about any of that. And I just, it, it, it's going to be very different. I. I think probably no matter what happens, unless even even if Fox wins, even if Fox wins, I think it'll be different.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a different. It's we're entering we're, entering into a different different era for <laughs> for media rights. As it's weird. It will be weird, but uh, I don't know. I will eventually get used to college football on Netflix, and we're all going to like it because that's 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 the direction
0: we're going. So there you go. There's a bunch of odds and ends. We, We went all over the place, and that was fun. I don't know. We should maybe do this more often. So we talked a lot today, a lot of Husker basketball, both men's and women's. We talked Husker softball and Husker baseball as well. Again, remember, this is a Daily Nebraskan podcast. Follow at Daily NEB for all the news from the students who live it every day and at dn sports for the sporting side of that news follow landon on twitter at l-a-n-d-o-n-w-i-r-t and for me it is at hansen 15 underscore hansen h-a-n-s-e-n 15 underscore hansen. we'll be back next week to preview the big 10 tourney and give you a lay of the land in the big 10 conference for both the men's and the women's teams and we'll give you a look at what happened for nebraska baseball and softball over the weekend big tests for both programs